Dogs, swab the decks and hoist the sails. The guns on board be neat in some proper manner. Pieces of eight and a fine wench on your arm. If you work, be not too shoddy. Careful not to flounder too badly, though, or you may have to dance the hempen jig. As we see you to Davy Jones, the Jeffy, my boy. On with the show. Well, shiver me timbers. To our listeners from across all regions of the planet, welcome once again aboard the Robin Hood, flagship to the world's one and only cooperatively inspired charity podcast network, WPRPN. Broadcasting to the world from out of the sweltering midsummer heat striking the Korean Peninsula. You're listening to episode 116 of Pirate Radio Podcasts. I'm your host, as always, the ship's chief communications officer, Jaffe Ryder. Lifelong ET contact experiencer, Nathan Tafoya, joins us this week to share stories from his life of otherworldly encounters. A longtime native of Southern California... Nathan's entry into the world defied the odds. Doctors had told his mother childbirth would be biologically impossible. Miraculously, she managed to prove them wrong. Over the course of our approximate 90-minute exchange, Nathan will try to clearly convey the difference between physical and non-material ET interactions. Along with fielding your questions and comments, we'll also tackle telepathic channeling, the event, and dreams. Last but not least, Nathan will attempt to provide step-by-step details on how to actually make contact with real-life extraterrestrials. He can freely be contacted via Skype at Nathaniel Tafoya. Hey, welcome everybody. Episode 116 with ET experiencer Nathan Tafoya. I am, of course, your host as always, Jaffe Ryder. And I think we've actually got up in the crow's nest here this week, Drew Lima, who we were talking to just in the pre-interview end of things as we gathered together the first few minutes before the top of the hour. Uh, we'll bring in Drew first. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. What is your status then, uh, Drew? Maybe you can let listeners in on what it is exactly that you're doing here on the Robin Hood this week. Just going to be listening in, and I have a few questions myself as we go on. This is kind of a new area for me to explore. I'm going to really start enjoying the weeks to come. Yeah, I guess it is a new area. So best way of becoming more familiar with things, though, of course, is just to throw yourself into the into the mix and and see what comes of it so yeah make your way on up there to the top of the crow's nest keep an eye out for the kraken as best you can uh we'll be sure to check back on you in a few minutes 
And there he goes. It looks like, yeah, Drew Lima of Sons and Daughters of Liberty. So great to have him dropping by, joining us, and being a part of this week's operation. So, uh, Nathan, do we have you standing by? Yes, we do. Thanks for dropping by. Much appreciated. Oh, thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it. I'm thinking maybe the best place to start is, well, any suggestions? We can take this in any direction you like, frankly, but how about a pirate story? What exactly got up your sleeve for us? There's two little parts to it. Um, I didn't know if you guys knew that when you hear the word locker, back in the days when the pirates were around, they referred to their closets as lockers, so kind of interesting fact. The story is about Davy Jones. If you guys aren't really too familiar with Davy Jones, he was a famous pirate and probably one of the oldest pirate captains there were. And um, one of his last adventures was on his birthday, and he was out in the Caribbean Sea with all his his members aboard their pirate ship, and so they decided to go to port and grab a couple winches, the most beautiful winches you can see in uh, the Caribbean, and they decided to celebrate his birthday. So they threw this big old, uh, you know, massive parade because he was really getting up there in age, and uh, he didn't know how much longer he was going to be able to maintain being captain of his ship and his crew. So, you know, they were having all these parties and drinking rum and everything, and his first-hand mate asked him, well, Davy Jones, how old are you? And he says, I'm 80. And they're like, no, how old are you? I'm 80. And they're like, no, how old are you? I'm 80. And so they finally figured out that he just turned 80 years old. And, well, they were really surprised how old he was because he didn't look that old. And what had happened is they had surprised the captain with, a couple winches so they said well why don't you go into the room with these winches and have have your birthday party and so he went into his room these two winches and long behold all the crew members came up to his door and were trying to listen in and the first mate had peeked through the uh, keyhole area because he could see through the door and all of a sudden two more winches busted out of his locker his closet with their breast hanging out, and he started to choke, and he fell down on the ground. And everybody got silent because they heard a big flop. And next thing you know, first-hand mate's looking down, and they can see him undoing his belt and his chest and everything. And then one of the winches is putting her ear on his chest to hear his heartbeat. And the next one is down by his crotch area, And the first mate says, oh, there she blows. But next thing you know, he had passed out. All the winches came running out of the captain's quarters, screaming, he's dead, he's dead. So the first mate was really excited because he always wanted to be captain. And Davy Jones said, you know, you'll make a good captain one day. So what they did is they threw him overboard in the Caribbean Sea. And that's where you get the term... Davy Jones Walker, and that's the real story of Davy Jones's locker. That's my story. Oh. I thought it would be more heroic. Did you 
make that one up or how much of it is what the history books tell us and how much of it is your own uh, sort of creative design? It's 100% creative design. Oh, that's pretty funny. So that's a good one and very uh, imaginative too. So a little on the almost like R-rated <laughs> end of things there. But uh, that's pretty good for sure. So, well, I think, yeah, that should uh, suit the captain's standards without too much difficulty. So, well done, and uh, welcome aboard the Robin Hood. You've uh, managed to pass the test with flying colors here and uh, shown your pirate credentials quite clearly. Uh. So, good job. We might as well just dive right in then, I guess, and start with... Of course, who is Nathan Tafoya? And without really getting into the E.T. end of things so much, just a brief biographical sketch and overview. Well, that's a good question. Who am I? I'm still learning to find out who I really am. But that goes in real deep. But no, about myself, I'm uh, 38 years old. I'm living out of the state of Utah here. Uh, in the Salt Lake City area. You know, I've always been kind of a thrill seeker, so I've always been an adrenaline junkie with racing motorcycles at a very young age, at the age of five. Competed in surfing throughout my childhood and high school years on the high school surf team. I ski regularly and snowboard because we have pretty awesome mountains and killer snow up here in Utah. Uh, I'm a family man. I have a seven-year-old son and a wonderful wife, and they support me on coming out and sharing my experiences. Even though my wife is, uh, she doesn't really like to get involved in kind of hearing my experiences. I think it kind of freaks her out a little bit, you know. So I I don't press her on that. But other than that, you know, I I work for the public transportation system in, here in Utah and. I like to, you know, serve others and help out the community and just like to have fun and live life. I didn't know you're that much into, uh, well, sports, recreation, the outdoors. Did you say motocross, motorbikes as well, too? Yeah, I, I grew up racing dirt bikes like uh, supercross and motocross stuff. I started riding at an early age of five years old and still do it to this day and then my real big passion besides motorcycle riding is surfing. That's my true passion. I love surfing, unfortunately. I haven't been able to do it for quite a while since I've moved up here, so it's been about 15 years. But I still have like 17 surfboards down in California at my dad's house. So I was thinking, actually, you were still based out of California. That was my impression. I wish so, I was. Was it work that took you to Utah? No, actually... Uh, my, fa my father grew up in the telecommunications industry, and, you know, when he got up in his years, it, it was a little bit more difficult and more of a challenging environment in that area. And so he just decided to part ways with that industry, and he ended up, both of my parents were born and raised here in Utah, so my mother still lives out here. My dad actually moved back to California. But he ended up coming up here and buying a food company that makes Scottish and Australian meat pies. And uh, he never knew anything about doing that. And he said, you know what, if you want to come up with me here in, to Utah, you know, you can get a different change of scenery and maybe help me out, learn a couple things, and we'll learn together. So I said, 
why not? I don't have any obligations. I had broken up with my girlfriend and, um, you know, I said, why not? Let's try something different. So and I've been up here ever since. And that was 2003. So sounds like your parents, uh, split up. It's the impression I'm, I'm getting probably our listeners as well. Did your father by chance happen to remarry, uh, a Mormon? No, he did not. Well, shot in the dark, I guess. But yeah, of course, one of the first things. I'm not LDS. None of my, well, my mother was born and raised LDS, but she uh, certainly excommunicated herself out of that type of environment due to some internal things that were going on with the church or something like that. They really put her on the spot for not wearing a dress. She decided to wear pants and a tank top to church and they brought her up on stage and said this is not how you conduct yourself on sunday service and she ran out of there and never came back and doesn't want anything to do with it not that it's a bad organization or anything like that but i think that can change a person's perspective pretty quickly when you're put up in front of everybody and kind of put down upon yeah so my dad was born a catholic and uh, you know, I was never really born into a religion or anything like that. I had the freedom to choose, which I'm really grateful for. I hold that same standard for my son. Um, I think a lot of individuals, unfortunately, they don't have a, they're kind of born into a religion, and that's not a bad thing, but I, I think you kind of get to lose that freedom of choice in a sense. You're kind of brought up into a, a religion or system or family fundamental aspect of things, and what should be done and how you should conduct yourself. And I think that really uh, puts a little hindering on one's ability to kind of self-choose and self-navigate for themselves on what they want to do. The word religion itself actually stems from the Latin term relegare, which means to tie or bind. So, yeah, very little freedom once you commit to a certain religious path spirituality a little different story i would imagine so just briefly though going back to the this business of mormonism that would be a a show in itself of course if only because of the crypto freemasonic angle i'm not sure if you know much about that it's not really what today's show is supposed to be about but if anyone out there has either taken the time or in the future cares to do so what you'll find is it's the whole church, its rituals uh, and history, it's very rich and replete Freemasonic footprint clear across the board. So right down to the fact that, what was it, Joseph Smith and his brother were both Freemasons, and it just goes on endlessly. But that is, once again, not exactly why we're here. We'll have to save that for another day. Going back, though, to the uh, time of your... Well, when you first came into this world is, I guess, where we're going to pick things up from here in just a second. But before we do that, let's turn our gaze to what we have unfolding over here. Some of the drama, perhaps, via the YouTube, the live streaming chat area. We got, looks almost 10 people right now joining us for today's live stream. So that's great. Pirate Joe Eminon out of Long Island, New York, along with Joe Triple Three. The two Pirate Joes in the house this week. That's great to see. Johnny Canuck, Mr. Anderson, Sons and Daughters of Liberty, of course. 
and Angel Espino inside the Jackal's head. Hola, matey. He'll be coming up next week, folks. So if you want to check out what Angel has to say, the founder and CEO of the PSN Radio Network, by all means, drop by same time, 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 11 p.m. Eastern next week, and we'll dive right into things, do our best to catch up to speed with how life has been going over there in Angel's world. Oh, and Rob the Man, too, let's not forget, too. Yes, adding him to the list. Hopefully I haven't missed anyone. Have you actually appeared on any of uh, Angel's shows there, courtesy of the PSN radio network? I know you've said you've done a little work there with Tom Schaefer and Free Cosmos, the Freeples. Yeah, actually, uh, Angel was, uh, I wanted to give a shout out because I haven't talked to him for a while, but uh, what's up, Angel? And I just wanted to thank you for letting me come on Skywatchers Radio. Uh, that was a great opportunity. I had a chance to uh, do an interview with him, and uh, I got to meet uh, some wonderful people on their end, like Chris Brown and a few other individuals. And, you know, I've also done shows with uh, Dr. J Radio, which unfortunately he's uh, no longer doing videos as of right now. Um, I got to meet uh, Johnny Webb, which is a really good friend of mine. Um, he's also introduced me to uh, quite a few individuals that have uh, basically opened up their wings up to me to allow me to uh, share this information to you. So, and, and Jappy, thank you for this opportunity as well. It's important that people that are wanting to know information and stuff like that, you know, giving these contactees or researchers the opportunity to speak out and enlighten oneself is a very important thing to do. So, yeah, I've had a lot of opportunities. Uh, they seem to keep uh, coming, so I'm really thankful for that, and I always uh, am really appreciative and want to take the time so I can share that information with all the viewers and listeners that, you know, are here to listen, so... Well, it's our pleasure. Chris Brown actually was one of our first interviews. And Johnny Webb, speaking of him, actually we've got to extend a word of uh, thanks and gratitude because that's how we managed to find you, actually, and get you booked for this week's show. Is Just a couple of months ago, we happened to be connecting more or less behind the scenes via Skype. And I think it was during some... Might have been the Robert Vandenbroek show, maybe the after show or something like that. But if I can recall correctly, I think you were uh, conversating with, uh, I can't remember his name, but he's the guy that have done a lot of the video productions about Robert Vandenbroek's uh, cases and stuff like that and documented a lot of these events and experiences that he's had. And Robert's a good friend of mine as well. Uh, we don't talk that often, but when we do, it's a very pleasant, wonderful conversation. He does have a lot to bring to the community. He is the real deal. Him and I are a little different in the abilities that we have, but I think there's quite a bit of commonality in different things. Yeah, so it's, it's pretty neat to, uh, you know, I've just barely been doing this the last, what, two years. So, I mean, this is all new and fresh to me. Uh, I've been holding this information for a long time, and that's just due to personal development and understanding kind of what has taken place in my life. So, I mean, there's been a lot of challenging things, and, uh, you know, but they've all been positive but challenging, and 
a little bit difficult here and there, but I think it was best for me to kind of digest everything and reflect on what, what had taken place, you know, at an early childhood age. And, uh, the events still happen to this day. It's just not as physical as it used to be. So, but we can dive into that whenever you're ready. So, and <laughs> we're almost, we're, we're getting there, believe me, but let's just go back before we do to this business of Robert Vandenbrook's purported alien tentacles or what some had thought might have been alien tentacles others speculating that no they were more something along the lines of giant uh, squid calamari uh, what have you i guess the way that the test results to this point at least it's not definitive but right now it is indeed looking like the tentacles that he did have in his possession that he gave to johnny webb have turned out to be nothing more than standard octopus arms. So that opens a whole, if you'll excuse the expression, can of worms. But that's where things stand at the present moment. I'm not sure. I see that uh, Tom Schaefer's in the house, and that's really great and much appreciated. He's been doing a lot of work just in the last day or so, uh, revamping our website, WPRPN.com, giving it a bit of a facelift. Still a lot of work to be done over there. I, myself, in the after show, um, you know, once we wrap up this week's interview, hoping to take a more hands-on approach to things there and uh, work on giving things the once over but yeah that's the way things look right now with the purported uh, uh what some at least had speculated may have been alien tentacles uh, it's well that, that once again a show all in itself uh i don't really want to get too sidetracked with that i think we've addressed about enough um and done enough housekeeping at least uh, to this point and and given shout outs to everyone who hopefully you know, has has warranted one that uh, our apologies, of course, if we seem to have forgotten that you were with us here this week. But let's just take things back to the time of your birth, because I noticed something quite peculiar, in fact, is that your mom did not have an easy birth. In fact, from the story, my impression of what I've been led to, well, believe, uh, the way the, the official story goes, at least, is she had a very trying birth it was it was complicated was it not um well she had always tried to have children and was never successful in doing it a lot of complications going on and kind of what had happened she went to her physician and said you know i don't understand why i can't get pregnant or anything like that and the doctor said you know basically she was really unable to conceived children just the way her anatomy was so it made it really difficult for her but you know she kept trying and luckily uh, you know i was brought into this world but i don't think it was all just by coincidence or choice i my gut feeling and just the way i feel inside is i've had multiple many lives i feel a lot wiser than i am at my current age of 38 years old so, you know, I think part of it was my uh, choosing to enter her life and my parents' life. So, but yeah, it was a little, it was quite difficult for her. And, uh, you know, I'm her only child. Um, I do have some other siblings. My dad was married previously to another woman. So I do have an older brother and two older sisters. And my brother's the oldest out of all of them. And then 
following by the two sisters, so I'm, I'm the baby child. Yeah, kind of an interesting family dynamic that we have. We all get along really good. We're all really close, but, you know, it doesn't really separate us from having different mothers. So. The reason I asked you is because, and I'm not sure if you know about this yourself, but I seem to recall we've had at least one other guest. I think her name was Nancy Tremaine, and the story that she told us was that she actually gave birth to, uh, she claims to have had some, like an alien son, basically, that a she, hybrid. Pro- yeah, hybrid that she produced with a, uh, some sort of, uh, alien being of sorts. But that she was, it was a medically impossible, uh, tubal legation, something along those lines. It's really kind of a multi-syllabic, medical term that escapes me at the moment, but that she was not thought to have been able to possibly give birth. I'm not sure whatever happened to the child. Some so, sort of emanation or something like that? Well, who knows exactly, but isn't it the case, let's just stick to the realm of, you know, what we can, the tangible world of what we can see, touch, feel, and so forth, rather than just uh, more this, the, the speculative end of things. Is it not the case that there's a lot of so-called experiencers such as yourself who are the result of what their mothers were told would be almost impossible? You know, unfortunately, I don't know how to answer that question. Every time that I try to reach out to an experiencer or contactee, I think the only one that I've ever really been able to communicate with is Robert Vandenbrook. But other than that, I a lot of people don't want to share their experiences with me or or open up that line of communication due to maybe feeling insecure or or paranoid that maybe I'm somebody else that, you know, is trying to get information from them. But so I don't really know how to answer that. It's possible. I mean, one of the things that my mom told me is she knew exactly what I looked like. It's like she looked down in her stomach and could see exactly how it was going to develop in what I was going to look like when I was a little little boy before I was even born. Uh, but my mom's also had some little, little bit of unique experiences growing up as a young child as well. She uh, always has this ability to basically what's called astral travel, which is basically leaving your body and going out and just not being inside yourself and going exploring areas and stuff like that. So uh, she always used to say that to her mom. Her mom's like, you can't say that out loud. People are going to think you're nuts. And uh, she had told me that, you know, her mom was like worried because she kept saying this all the time. And so she finally took her to um, a doctor to figure out what was going on. The doctor's like, no, she's completely normal in all, all of her tests. Um, this isn't anything abnormal. It's just something that some people can do. And this was like, I think, early 60s and stuff like that when this had taken place. So she's always had like a little bit of, uh, you know, an extraordinary ability to do that. I don't think she does that anymore, but that's one thing that she did always share with me. Astral travel. Yeah, that really is quite something. I think where you find yourself attached by that, uh, either like a gold or silver type cord. So um, pretty Pretty scary stuff. I'm not sure. Have you ever astral traveled then yourself? Um, yeah, I have a few times. It's not, it's not really scary. It's just uh, 
it's kind of like a really lucid dream, but you're aware of everything and you're kind of, I don't know, just experiencing things in a different facet of dimension. Okay. Uh, which is, but it's distinct and separate from these other worldly experiences that you are here to talk about uh, this oh, yeah, as well, too. You, you can completely, you can tell the difference entirely, no doubt about that. Is that right? 100%, yeah. When did these experiences first come about? When was your your first uh, time when you can remember having some sort of, uh, I guess, otherworldly contact? Well, for me... I think it's been going on ever since I was born, but my first recalling uh, conscious memory was at the age of two years old. And um, I was born in Torrance, California. So a little bit about that event was my uh, mom's mom from, uh, and she, you know, my mom and my dad were both uh, raised here in Utah. She actually had uh, come down to visit and hang out with us for the week. And I was two years old when this first recalling event had taken place. Um, so kind of to lead into that story, I've always had a really good memory. So I can remember like my first doctor's visit with my first doctor's shot. I remember him blowing up a surgical glove and putting a smiley face on that. I remember my first haircut. I, I can recall memories from my early childhood, my toddler years, I'll, you know, I, I just really have a really keen memory. So but what had taken place at the age of two was I was in my bedroom and I was playing with my toys, my stuffed animals, my tinker toys and stuff like that. that my parents got me and I was able to actually carry a pretty good conversation at a really young age so I could communicate quite well and know how I was feeling and all this kind of stuff. But um, so while I was playing in the room with my tinker toys, and my stuffed animals, where my crib was hanging out against the wall, I had two of these uh, gray extraterrestrials, and they're not the typical gray extraterrestrials that you normally see on uh, YouTube or you know Google Images or anything like that. Uh, these are what I refer to as the white grays, and I had made an illustration for you. They were different because they seem to have like an elderly physical appearance. They wore these purple robes with the gold trim around the hood and through the center. And those gray extraterrestrials basically started to manifest through the wall. So they basically kind of materialized through the wall. Um, it was, I remember this quite clearly and it was kind of like a, uh, started off like almost like a hologram type materialization. And then it started to become more solid in matter. So they entered my room through the walls and, we started to have this telepathic communication right off the bat. At that age of two years old, I wasn't afraid or anything like that because if you look back at, and any person can really look back at their early childhood if they can remember back that far, you're not really uh, afraid of anything because you're just kind of new to this experience in this world. So I didn't have any fear. I wasn't scared or anything like that. It felt really inviting and welcoming to have them there uh, to honestly, it felt like they were family to me when we're having this telepathic communication. One of the things that they were expressing during this interaction was that uh, they were here to check on me to see if I was okay. And I was doing all right. in this life experience. 
they were also letting me know that I do have the natural ability to communicate telepathically and also receive telepathic communication, as well as that I have the ability to feel uh, energy in my surroundings as well as in with people, meaning basically their life force. Uh, so one of my gifts is that I can basically, if I interact with someone in person, over the phone it may be a little bit difficult because I'm not really feeling their energy in a physical sense by them, but I can get to know who they are within the first 10 to 15 seconds, meaning I get to know their true character, if they're honest and pure, service to others, or service to self and selfish. And that's actually really helped me out through my career path in life and in relationships. But So that was something that they were talking to me about, as well as the fact that when we're having this interaction, that they were also letting me know that I was going to be involved with them and a few other extraterrestrial races that kind of work together. And so we were having this kind of long discussion, and I didn't really have a sense of time at that young age. I didn't know what time meant or how long time was, but it seemed like a long time. And the weird thing about it was, is my mother or my grandmother was never walking down the hallway to check on me in the room. And this was all quiet and silent because it's all through telepathic communication. It's not verbally uh, spoken out loud. And that's never how I've had any encounter happen. It's all telepathic through different forms of telepathy, which I can go into a little bit later. But so that kind of, what initially started at the age of two. And uh, when we were having this conversation, I was really excited and happy that they were there. And I had asked them if it would be okay if I had introduced my grandmother to them because she was really special in my life. I really loved her. She's no longer here. And they gave me this profound message. And it didn't really resonate with me until the last few years, but it always has stuck with me. So I said, well, can I introduce you to my grandmother? And they said, a child's mind and consciousness is a lot stronger than it is as an adult. So they not they might not see what you see. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to go grab her. And it didn't really resonate with me. And the reason they said that is because, and this is part of about how to make contact and how to be open to extraterrestrial experiences and stuff like that. You have to have a child's mindset. When you're a child, you don't have these blinders on on you where you're in this uh, preconceived condition to basically analyze everything and and try to find validation in it. When you're a child, you're open to any experiences. Uh, you have a very vivid imagination. Nothing holds you back as a young child. Until you get into your adolescent, your teenage years, and to your adult years, you start developing these blinders. So I would encourage people if they're wanting to seek contact or find out how to do it or whatnot to first allow your mind and your consciousness to become more like a child and be open to this whole new experience. And that's how you have to take life and understanding things is always let yourself be open to different possibilities and things that are out there because believe it or not, you'll be quite surprised with your ability to think like that and see what can manifest in that form but that was kind of going off in a tangent but so i had grabbed my grandmother from the kitchen and when i walked in there it was kind of like they were in their own little zone they were all preparing dinner for that evening and it was like later in the afternoon i don't know what time it was i said grandma come here i want to introduce you to my friends so she's like oh okay 
So I grabbed her hand and I brought her into my room and I said, look, my friends are right over here. Can you see them? And she looks at me. She's like, where are they at? I'm like, they're right over here by the wall, by my crib. Can you see them? She's like, I can't see anything. And she just looked at me and said, I'm a clever little boy and patted me on the head and went back to what she was doing. But it makes sense for what they said is because when you become an adult, you become jaded or you become clouded in this sense of not being able to recognize things that you normally don't do. I mean, you hear kids all the time have these pretend imaginary friends. Well, they might not be so imaginary if you really think about it, because I always remember always seeing things and I still do to this day. And it's not just like a, a figure of my imagination, but I, I see like shadow people and stuff like that, or these shadow beings that run across my room or in public places that occur on a regular basis. Uh, but I've always had that child's mindset to be open to things. And that's kind of allowed me to expand my consciousness and everything. But that was like my first recalling physical event at the age of two. And it kind of developed more so when I was like age five and up. But I did have paramount thought process going on at the age of four. And I started to uh, have this really complex thought process going on through my head where I was thinking that my parents weren't my real parents. And this kind of festered in with me for quite a while when I was the age of four, at least a few months. Uh, it seemed to go on for a long time, and I was really quiet about it, and I was frustrated because, you know, when I looked at my mother and father, I knew that they were my blood parents. I could see my physical resemblance from them, and I knew they were always around me by birth, but internally I felt like they weren't my real family. That was a really complex thought process, and I don't know many four-year-olds. My son's seven years old. He doesn't think like that, and he's really open with talking to me, but I think that's pretty an advanced way of collecting a thought and pondering on it at, at an early age of four. But um, other physical experiences started to happen about the age of five all the way up to about age of 15 where I had 30 plus, I can't even count how many physical interactions that I had, but that's kind of what my first recalling memory was at two. And then before I started having this weird contemplation about my parents and if they were my real parents, because I didn't feel like this, like they gave me all this love and support and everything, but for some reason I just didn't feel like, like an internal connection with them. I still feel that way now. And it had taken me a very long time. It actually last year when I was 37, it was the first time I ever mentioned this to my mom or my dad that I had questioned about them being my real parents. And they were kind of shocked. And I didn't really ever discuss any of my experiences with my mother and my father, not until I was about the age of eight. And the one thing I was going to say that I find really interesting is the background that you have on the YouTube channel with E.T.'s hand coming out and a human hand touching it. Well, when I was a little child growing up in the 80s, my most favorite thing in the whole world was E.T. the Extraterrestrial. My mom had bought me this E.T. Extraterrestrial doll. It was like leather and it had sand inside of it. It was like a stuffed animal, but it was filled with sand. And I would sleep with that all night long, all the time. And it would rip and tear. My mom would fill it back up with sand, sew it up again, and I'd be a happy camper. But not until I got about to the age of uh, six years old is when I 
didn't want that in my room anymore because these uh, physical interactions started to occur. And when you start getting up into the older years from, say, two, three, and four, you start getting a little bit introduced to, like, stuff like uh, Halloween and stuff like that. You get to see scary costumes and all that stuff. So I started to get, uh, you know, a little scared at night when these uh, extraterrestrials would come in because it always happened at nighttime while I was sleeping and I would get this uh, internal telepathic communication voice with inside myself saying, it's time to wake up and it's time to go. And then I would open up my eyes and then I would have, three to five gray extraterrestrials. Now, these weren't the ones I consider wise grays. These are your typical-looking gray extraterrestrials that stand about three and a half to four feet tall. And, uh, you know, they'd surround me in my bed, and, you know, I'd see them there, and then all of a sudden it was like I blacked out, and then and next thing I know, I'm aboard a craft taken by these gray extraterrestrials. And if you have questions, feel free to answer so during my physical interactions with these extraterrestrials, there's a few different groups that I've interacted with. Um, the wise grays, which are a main contact source, and that's why they basically materialized and manifested in my room at the age of two. Those were a direct link of communication and entities that were the ones that actually communicate with you. Uh, the grays that would show up in my room when I would hear this internal voice saying, it's time to wake up and time to go. Those weren't being communicated by those extraterrestrial grays that were in my room. Those words were communicated through either the wise grays or the tall whites, which I have an illustration. They're kind of like a luminescent white extraterrestrial, kind of similar to a gray, but a little different. I call them the tall whites because they're pretty tall. They're about seven feet tall. But I get this internal message, and then these other grays would show up in my room. And these grays are what I referred to as like a worker bee or kind of initiator into the contact experience. They're there to assist in the whole process of, of having this physical interaction. So it's uncomfortable because there's no emotion. There's no energetic feeling from them. They're just kind of like almost a sense like an organic robot in a sense. They don't really communicate. They don't really have any emotion or anything. They're just there. They assist in the process and then you're aboard the craft, you know, they'll grab your hand or your arm. And it's not rough or anything like that. It's just a gentle way of moving you along to get to where you need to go. So they would escort me in this craft and they would assist me in the whole process of having these physical interactions aboard the craft. And so what had taken place, they had escorted me into the craft into this area. And then that's where... I met up with what I refer to as the wise grays, the tall whites, and I've had a couple interactions with these mantid-type beings or the praying mantis-type beings. And they would actually be the ones that are communicating with me. They would instruct these worker bee grays or the you know robotic-type grays, but they're fully organic in a sense. They just don't communicate. They just kind of do what they need to do, and they all have their specific tasks and duties that they're doing in this interaction physically and so my main contact source would you know instruct me to sit in front of this holographic type screen so these worker b grades would escort me into this area of the craft where these holographic type screens would come down and i would have these uh 
visions or, or these displays up on these holographic screens of these symbols. And I've actually, in my illustration with these different beings that I've encountered, I have some drawings of those symbols that I recognize and remember still to this day. And each of these symbols represent some form of information. They have meaning behind them. For the life of me, I don't know what they are, but I remember the symbol. And during these physical contact experiences and with other people that are contactees, or if you like to use the word abductee, I don't like to use it because it's abrasive, or experiencers, you have a lot of gaps in these events that take place because, first of all, what happens when you're interacting in a physical setting with these other entities, number one, they work on a totally different frequency of energy. Their frequency that we interact with is such a high density that we have a hard time actually being able to gain composure. Being afraid and frightened is a completely normal response until you start having more interactions and everything like that. So like the initial experience when you have grays surrounding you in your bed, you're going to be frightful. You're going to have all these different emotions that are going on because you got to think they materialize. It's not like them knocking on the door or ringing the doorbell saying, hi, I'm here. Let's go. Let's go have fun. They interact in a total different way, how they manifest in this physical form, in this reality you feel a different energy flow through you and it's overwhelming because you get all these mixed emotions. You can feel happy, sad, frightened, anxious, claustrophobic, all at the same time. I mean, there's so many different types of emotions going on in these interactions until you kind of are in the physical presence aboard the craft. Then you kind of start to, it's like they calm you down. But what happens is during these processes that take place, I don't know, you get memory blocks. I don't know if they put them in there, but because there's so much different different stresses going on physically and emotionally and uh, psych- psychology. Um, sorry, I totally mispronounced that. But, um, you know, just all these different emotions and things that are going on, I think it's sensory overload for you. So they try not to... Um, allow you to get overloaded with all this stuff that happens because I mean when you're in front of a screen you're down you're also getting this download information from the the entity that's communicating with you they're telling you okay you got to remember this symbol it has this meaning behind it and then they start showing you different things on the screen like earth in different scenarios like for instance I got to see earth in this lower state where it was just like fresh and fruitful and full of life and it wasn't deterred by things that we cause here on the planet like pollution wars natural disasters and stuff like that so i got to see that side of things and then as i was watching the screen i got to see things start changing in the environment of earth i got to see like big natural disasters like volcanoes major earthquakes tsunamis tornadoes, stuff like that. Then I got to see what we do here on the planet, meaning the human race does, where we have wars, riots, where we segregate ourselves and we have this huge prejudice against each other 
and we separate each other. So I got to see that stuff too. And it was really emotional for me because, you know, I didn't want to see all that stuff and experience that. And the reason that they were doing that is to see what my emotional response was going to be and how I was going to handle myself seeing that these, I don't know if they were predetermined events or just kind of like scenarios that took place, but that kind of continued on from like age five all the way up to, I would say about age 12, 13 years old. And then at that point, later on, it started to become more physical. But, you know, during these things where I got to see these holographic images on the screen, not only that took place, but I had this, what I consider this, um, it's like, Mind-focused energy is where you direct your thoughts and energy and you're able to move objects. Like, I remember this orb being in this room and my whole objective was is to concentrate my mental projection thought and energy into moving this orb. I know it sounds like Star Wars crap, but I'm telling the truth. This is exactly the teaching lessons that take place. And the reason for that, I believe, is because when you're aboard the craft itself, it's like a living organism. The way they communicate with the craft is all through telepathic communication. So the way you see crafts at times, if you've ever seen a physical craft, they may not look too big, but when you're inside, they're massive. What I've seen firsthand is that they can alter their shape and form to work and suit for whatever they their intended purposes are for using that craft or when they have uh, somebody aboard that's been taken aboard to learn something or find out about their anatomy. So I got to learn about that. And I think that has to do with being able to also learn maybe possibly at one point in time how to operate a craft. I don't know. I, I don't remember that. Speaking of, of massive and sensory overload, you've really demonstrated a clear um, you know stream of consciousness there and managed to unpack uh, a lot of uh, details and quite the story, which in fact, as you may or may not be aware, uh, seems to in many ways mimic or mirror, replicate, and be based on the same reports that we have heard in so many other cases and examples, of course, too. With, uh, I think you said the word abductee or abduction you felt to be a little too coarse. You're not really too down with that word, but contactee, experiencer. Yes, uh, the ships and the symbols and the screens and the innocence of, of a child and uh, the way that it's interesting, too. I think uh, one of the first things I think of when that is mentioned is what Jesus talked about in the Bible, that for, for any of us here on earth to witness or experience the kingdom of heaven we must first make ourselves as a child to look upon the world with those eyes once again the innocence of youth i suppose really so uh but yeah you've really covered a lot of ground here and i'm not sure if we managed to hang on to our co-host drew lima or not the youtube chat area is really overheating so we got a lot of activity going on over there. We're going to just uh, take a quick peek back up in the crow's nest here and see if, in fact, uh, Jew is, is managing to hold tight there or not, or if, in fact, maybe he's been swept overboard by a rogue wave. Mr. 
Sons and Daughters of Liberty Lima. Do we still got you? You falling asleep? Yeah, I was kind of worried about that. I sent him a little message in Skype, actually. Yeah, so. I got your message. Oh, there you are. Hey, 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 how's it going, man? So, yeah, you've been... Yeah, I just didn't want to type back because I know it sometimes chimes in the background. Oh, no, not if you're muted. It's fine. So, hey, listen, Nathan really kind of uh, managed to unload there in a big way. Uh, was there anything that really jumped out at you or that uh, you see occurring over in the YouTube chat area that you like to just share with our listeners or draw to people's attention? Yeah, Joe333 had a question that I thought stood out. Do you think you had a contract to have these experience before you were born? And let's keep the answer short here, uh, Nathan, because we're pressed for time. We've got maybe around half an hour left. And I think you did a great job there, just giving kind of a uh, general overview sketch of, of things. So let's just, uh, yeah, in 30 seconds or less, can you respond to that? Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I felt that I have had a contract with them. Um, this is part of an experience here on Earth that I'm supposed to be experiencing. And this is something that my gut feeling, and I, I can't recall from past lives, but They've always been in contact with me. For instance, I feel that the extraterrestrials are my true family. And uh, believe it or not, we're all extraterrestrials, if you want to put it in that sense. So there's plenty of life out there in the cosmos. We're another form of extraterrestrial. So, But yes, I do believe that I had made not an agreement to encounter these experiences here on Earth answer that question how do your birth parents feel about your coming out as it were they support me 100 percent. you know even though you you now officially regard your et friends uh parents what have you you regard them as your actual uh, those are more as you say your parents than the people that gave birth to and, and raised you as a child they're comfortable with that yeah, they're completely fine with that. They know I have unconditional love for them. The thing is, is I just don't feel like it's a new bond that I have with my parents, meaning in this experience of 38 years being here. It's a new new bond with a new family. When I interact with these extraterrestrials, it feels like I've known them for a very, 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 very long time. And that's what I mean by family. It's a automatic recognition of the same energy, the same unconditional love that's always being portrayed through the interactions, even though it can be challenging and difficult. But yeah, they're completely fine with that. They support me 100%. One thing that I've always been taught is to always maintain integrity by telling the truth, being a stand-up person. If you're going to say you're going to do something, follow through and do it. So I mean... That's kind of been something that's always been taught for me here on this life. My family is be true to yourself, be true to others, always maintain integrity because what happens is if you lose integrity, then people lose trust in you and your relationships and everything will fall apart, which is exactly true. And unfortunately, there's a lot of instances where people will sometimes make poor choices or decisions or anything like that. And you know, I've been one of those people that have fallen off the path a little bit here and there when I was younger, but really those words stick. And no, but I got a really loving family that really supports me in doing this. And uh, 
I know doing this for from coming out in two years, there's going to be criticism. So it's expected in this type of phenomenon and field. But like I said, I don't have any intentions to lie to people. This is heartfelt and honest of what's going on. Like I said, if you have a child's mindset and you're willing to explore things and be open to it, the possibilities are endless. But it all depends on your own personal development, where you're at and everything. You know, but no, I got a great loving family that really supports me in doing this. And they're they're excited when I do these interviews. I'll watch them and they're like, well, that was so great. I, I actually learned something from you. So it's kind of fun. It's like I'm teaching my family a little bit. Yeah, it's amazing where you find. I work with kids myself, actually, on a pretty regular basis, having been situated here in Korea the last 16 tours of duty that I've now managed to, uh, I guess you could say, serve or chalk up here in the ELF capacity. That's my gig, as regular listeners will know. Uh, so, yeah, professional ELF, that's standing for English Language Facilitator. We got that one trademarked, too, in case anyone is wondering. But uh, live and learn. There's no doubt about that. So, um, and innocence and experience. And the fact that they are, in many cases, our greatest teachers. The young people, for example, animals can be teachers. Nature is a great teacher. Teachers and lessons are to be found everywhere. There's no doubt about that. So, before we continue here and get carried along once again too far... Uh, let's just make sure that we get a chance to hear once again from Drew up there in the crow's nest because he only had a chance to jump in there that one opportunity. Is there anything more that you see happening in the chat area, Drew, that really jumps out at you? Or there may be something on your mind just to yourself that you'd like to uh, ask Nathan here while we have him uh, join us as part of uh, this week's feature show episode 116. Uh, we'll be having, of course, Angel Espino, the founder of PSN Radio, the network that he's got launched in place, running over there via, I think it's psnradio.com, if I'm not mistaken. But, uh, yes, next week to round off the July schedule. This week, however, yeah, the main focus is ET, experiencer, and contactee. Doesn't quite like the word abductee um nathan tafoya anything that jumps out at you there drew something he was talking about you know he doesn't really have memories of past lives or past connections and stuff it's actually scientifically proven as well as the egyptians actually knew about this as well throughout history that when we're in the womb the ambient fluid that we were in causes amnesia yeah sure you betcha that makes sense. And how is it that you pronounce that exactly? I know it's it's a tough word, kind of like uh, what was the one that, I mean, we all sometimes, <laughs> oh, the, the things that come out of my mouth, I sometimes listen to with the playback and wonder how does I ever manage to pass, uh, you know, grade 10 English. But uh, there's a one word that uh, Nathan kind of struggled with there a few minutes back as well, too, that now I kind of escapes me is it embryonic fluid is that is that or ambiotic or how do you pronounce that ambionic or embryonic embryo embryonic fluid okay gotcha from the embryo how about that hey so and they knew that as far back as the time of ancient egypt is that your is that yes. what you're saying 
that's where the story of Osiris comes from when they when he was slain and they his body parts were scattered to reincarnate him. They went through the reincarnation process to avoid the actual rebirth through the womb, so he'd have all his memories. That's actually can be translated within the Dead Sea Scrolls as well. Or not the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Book of the Dead. Egyptian Book of the Dead. Lethe, in Greek mythology, Lethe was one of the five rivers of the underworld of Hades, also known as the Amalas Patamos. The Lethe flowed around the cave of Hypnos and through the underworld where all those who drank from it experienced complete forgetfulness. Lethe was also the name of the Greek spirit of forgetfulness and oblivion, with whom the river was often identified. So yes, folks, Lethe, there you go. I'm not sure if the, is there, there's a connection there, or am I completely missing the mark? That's the Greek tradition, of course, uh, as it says, so I'm not sure the Egyptian tie-in. They're all connected. Sure. Yeah, uh, ancient history and so forth, and the overlap, as it were. So, uh, Nathan, uh, just in in brief, then, are you familiar with any of this discussion um, material at all? Or I don't really look into that that often. I do get a lot of channeling messages from these extraterrestrials now, and one of the recent ones was the meaning of life, and I've got the answer for it. And that was one of our next questions, or at least one of them that we had on the list here, of course, was, yes, what has been your most recent experience uh, and and contact with these, how do you describe them? Just beings, otherworldly beings, friends, parents, uh, helpers, guides? All of the above, actually. I mean, they're they're family, they're, they're guides. You know, this is part of the reason why I'm doing it. You know, they've kind of communicated to me that now that... So there was there was this channeling message that I got right before I, like, went into my deep sleep. And it was like, they told me this, and I use it as a quote. And no one's ever... I've looked it up. No one's ever said this quote before. It's a cause without purpose leads to results that will not make a difference. And I live my life that way. And that means if you don't have a cause behind what you're doing and there's no purpose behind it, there's going to be no results from it. You're not going to see anything that fruitens up life for you. You're not going to see anything that comes of it. If you're doing pointless things in your life that doesn't have any purpose behind it, don't do it. It's not, it's not benefiting you. It's not, it's not benefiting others. So they had kind of channeled that to me one time, but they also channeled me what life is. And they told me there's only one other word that you can spell with life and it's a file and the meaning of life is a file and what it stands for is fulfillment integrity love and empathy so if you conduct those key important things in your life when you pass over into the next life because there are multiple lives i'm sorry to say but it's 100 percent true um you know, death is just an extension to another life. Uh, you can go into this uh, non-physical form of life, and you can choose to reincarnate in another physical form if you so choose so. That depends on where you're at in your current timeline as far as conscious development and spiritual growth and everything like that. So. The fulfillment and empathy, I, I got that, but I was also multitasking while you were laying that out. Oh, yeah. 
The L and the I, what do those stand for? So it's fulfillment, integrity, love, and empathy. Love, integrity, fulfillment, empathy, life. Gotcha. Are you familiar at all with Gary Busey and the famous uh, Buseyisms? I think when he was on like that celebrity uh, show or something like that, I could see him putting these uh, <laughs> words, turning them into something else. No, but it's true. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no. I think I love Gary Busey. I think he's great. You know, he's, he's off the wall and, and eccentric, but that doesn't mean he's a bad person or he's totally uh, not worth listening to. He's, he's profound. He's a profound, you know, some might say fool or what have you, but no, man, he's, he's a great person for sure. And he, his spiritual, I'm not sure if you are familiar with his spiritual testimony, but it's, it's really quite something as well, too, as a result of his, his motorcycle crash, what he saw, what he found. What he experienced. Uh, he was in, a, I think, a coma for a number of weeks, if I'm not mistaken. Well, you know, everybody will go through an awakening process at some point in their life. Uh, sometimes it happens sooner than later. But really think about that word life and, and the file behind it, why, why, why it means file. The way you conduct yourself in this life and how you experience life and um, give to others and in all those aspects of life itself, what happens is, is when you pass over, that file is going to be brought back up in, into that main point when you pass over. It's going to be displayed to you, and it's going to reveal how you conducted yourself. So it's really important to think about that because what happens is if you didn't conduct yourself the best way you possibly could to help others and and to learn and have empathy, love, and integrity and fulfillment in your life, what's going to happen is is you're going to get that file presented to you, and you know what's going to happen is you're going to have to relearn things that you didn't quite feel that you were totally fulfilled on that life. I mean, everybody gets to experience that file and reflect on it, and if there's something that they see they could have done better on, well, your next life experience you're going to have to learn how to overcome that previous life experience of something you didn't really quite get the full fulfillment out of. Like, oh, I could have done more. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I'm, I'm with you there, you know, myself, personally speaking, 100%. That's an insight and a re realization uh, that I've uh, had and, and I live my life in accordance with for quite a few years now, actually. So we can always do more. And yeah, I would hate to go to my grave thinking, why didn't I do more in that situation? Each situation arises, and we only got that one chance because it's never the same situation twice. You know, friends, folks, foes, and fellow pirate mateys, uh, we've got that one opportunity, seize the day, seize the moment, make the most of it. And I guess, what's it all about? What fruits will it bear? Is it for selfish purposes and intent or not, really? So I guess that's what a lot of it comes down to as well. Although they do say that the road to hell is paved with good intent. So you can look at it in several ways. The problem, though, in today's time frames is all these institutions, even with the children that are in the schools, and throughout politics and everything, everything is now, if you really have a clear mindset, if you look at everything that's on media and everything, it's training you to disconnect from your higher self. So 
all the things that are important are material items. That is the main focal point. What can I purchase? What can I buy? Those things have no internal value whatsoever. You can't take those with you when you leave. You just read so, my mind. You took the words right out of my mouth. Exactly. Yes. We've only got a few minutes, too, just to let you know here, Nathan. Uh, We've got maybe another 15 minutes or so. Maybe we can uh, open the floor a little bit more to taking questions. There's been a lot of activity in the YouTube chat area, of course. So, But before we do that, or maybe just to give listeners a few moments to prepare themselves and uh, throw out a few questions, if they have any, what is it then that has been revealed to you we are as humans in our ultimate form and nature we reincarnate is is what things would most definitely seem but what is our what is our supreme and ultimate essence that we carry with us from one lifetime to the next we're creators it goes back to manifestation everything on this life here on earth is a manifestation through first of all one's perspective of thinking or having that imagination to create something, and then following through and putting it into a physical form, everything is manifestation. So a lot of things, when I get these interactions, it's teaching me how to be more aware of my own abilities and all of our abilities to be more than what we currently are. It's like we're sheep, we're waiting to be herded into a corner. You know, We want to be trained or guided into this life by other individuals that we encounter here on earth but the main important thing is we're our own creator we're able to manifest anything that we want to do or see or experience we have that ability and and that's the coolest thing ever is what i was saying earlier is these institutions are teaching you how to be a part of the system they're not allowing the create the creativity of oneself so I mean, you look at it, we're in a cesspool of different people. You know what I mean? There's doctors, lawyers, engineers, you name it. There's a mixture and variety of everything. And it's wonderful because you get to experience all that. You get to see different things. But the important thing about it is looking at your inner self, you have the ability to do anything you want to do. It's how are you going to manifest it and how is it going to change your life and change the life of others? So. That's one of the most main important messages that I always get told by these extraterrestrials through channeling messages. Okay. Pirate Joe Eminon out of Long Island wants to know if you've ever been abducted as an adult. Before you answer that question, though, let's just go back to, I believe, what you refer to as being something along the lines of a health and wellness check that took place not so long ago. What was the most recent visitation that you've had courtesy of your uh, your overseers i suppose uh, the light beans i'm sorry i'm not sure what, what is it once again that you prefer what's the term just to be clear family or guide okay family guides okay so uh the what's the most recent occasion where they visited you what came of it what was the purpose and joe eminon once again wanted to know if you've actually been I guess he's talking in a physical sense. And this is one thing that's important to be clear on. Do these contacts and the journeys that are made to the the ships or craft, is that in a physical sense, literally, or simply just all mental phenomena? Literal, physical sense. Has anyone so, ever seen you disappear? 
No, all this stuff happens at nighttime while I'm sleeping. And the reason they do this is because they don't want people that care about you to be worried. So, like, when your parents are sleeping, the least point in their worrying time is when they're asleep. They're not worried and being on the safeguard side. So most of the interactions are all at nighttime. And you've never thought or nobody's ever asked you about the possibility of maybe setting up uh, like a surveillance system, CCTV cameras and that sort of thing. Well, geez, this was back in the 80s and 90s, so I mean... It's continuing to this day, though, is what you're saying, correct? It is, but not as much in the physical sense. It's, It's a little different, and there's a reason behind that. They actually told me that they were going to stop the physical interactions at the age of 15. So that's when the physical interactions started to simmer down was after the age of 15. I still, well, so I get a lot of dream state contact and I can't really differentiate both of them because sometimes they feel really physical, like really lucid in physical sense, but I feel like I'm dreaming. But no, the last real physical interaction was at the age of 15. And uh, when I was about 13 and up to 15 years old is when the physical body scans and checking and stuff like that, I believe they took sperm samples and did some different testing because I would wake up the next morning and I would have markings on my body, like blood vessels being popped on my skin is what it looked like, or I would have uh, red marks on my inner thigh or in the inside of my forearm area or underneath by my armpit or on my back area. And I I get these markings that wouldn't be there the day before and they would show up. And I don't remember a lot of the whole interactions like with the physical testing and stuff like that. I remember little parts. I remember I just sent you a picture recently and it's like a quick little crappy sketch that I drew on my uh, napkin that I was in my bus. I just had this vision and like, this is how, like, some of these memories come up that I don't recall. They come up at a later time. It's like they come up when they need to. And I haven't gone through, like, a regression hypnosis or anything like that. I want to, but it's quite costly, and it's really hard to trust somebody going into that because I don't want people to put false memories into my experiences. So, you know, at 150 bucks a pop, and they say, well, you got to have maybe – seven to eight sessions or, or less than that, that can be kind of costly. And I don't have that kind of money to invest in that right now. And yet I haven't really found anybody uh, particularly that I would like to other than Mary Rodwell. And she's based out of Australia that I've talked to. And you'd never um, want to do it on your own. I don't think either uh, hypnosis or hypnotherapy. I, my recommendation is just kind of common sense. Have uh, a witness or a trusted third party there with you to observe things and ensure that everything is above board, of course. So it's interesting you should mention this because, and I'm not going to put the lady's name out there, but there's somebody else here who recently was suggested to us as being a potential guest. This is coming courtesy of Tom Schaefer and the Free Cosmos Freeples project so we can maybe get into that a little more in the after show if you've got time to an interest in in sticking around i'm not sure how many other people will be joining us necessarily it's all pretty much a crapshoot sometimes it can be well it all really depends it's the roll of the dice 
I'm assuming Drew will be there, of course. Um, it sounded even like Joe Eminon out of Long Island, the New York region. Yeah, there, anybody that wants to stick around and ask questions, I mean, I'm an open book. Anything you want to ask me, I'm here here to help answer your questions. If you want to contact me, uh, you announce my Skype address. So you can contact me. I'm an open book. My whole purpose of doing this is to educate people and allow them to really understand their true potential. If they're wanting to experience this kind of stuff, I can show you how to do that. Now, I would give for a warning right now. It's not easy to undergo, and it's not going to be like what I've gone through. It could be that way for you, but it all depends on where you're at right now in your lifetime, in your life frame, where you're setting in with yourself. If you have the intentions of fear or hurting people, I don't want to even share this with you because... A, number one, I don't want them to get hurt, and I don't want you to get hurt psychologically. Because this is a life-changing event. It really, truly changes your whole perception on life 100%. You can get scared out of your mind because you might be faced with the physical extraterrestrial. All on how you're going to be able to handle it. And number one is they don't want to put fear in you and, and for you to be afraid and scared and and in this corner where you're going to lash out and hurt somebody or hurt yourself in the process it's not how they want to conduct a contact experience with you there, and there's different facets of different types of contact experience which i mean i have a plethora of information it's just allowing the time for whoever that really wants to listen and, and learn about how to do things like this. I mean, I have the abilities to call in craft. I've sent you photos. They may be a little hard to see because they're all taken on my phone, so they don't have a really huge zoom, but you can get the gist of what you see if you zoom in or look carefully. So. But I'd be willing to stay after. I mean, I would encourage people to, if they have questions, I'm here to answer it. So I, I'm willing, or if you want me to continue to talk for a couple more minutes about something else, we can go on to something else. Well, one of the things we'd certainly want to get into is, just in brief, the event. Maybe you can just touch on it without going into too much detail, and then we can sort of steer things to a close and fire up the after show, which, just to remind listeners, is part of our premium content campaign. It's the Patreon content is how we publish things online via that platform. Of course, once again, just for those who are new to the show and haven't heard too many of the streams that we've put together here, under our Robinhood mandate, half of all profit that we generate, actually just flat out income, to be quite clear, because we're still struggling here just to cover our operating expenses. But half of everything that we bring in, it actually goes back directly to charity. People out there along the lines of UFO political prisoner John Ford, whose case we've been following as close as we have been able to manage the past few years. Regular listeners, once again, will know there's some pretty major developments that are in the works on that front. Stay tuned. Carolyn Rose Goida, out there in the state of Missouri, struggling to take care of herself and manage to pay the bills while she continues to find herself homeless. James Heydrich, martial artist, magician, and someone who we have concluded really has been handed a raw deal after having served out his prison sentence and then getting thrown back 
into the the system being told that uh, no we think you've got a little more time that you're going to have to spend with us here and let's not forget of course Richard Whipple over there in Poland that's raw rights over on minds.com a Canadian expat trying to repatriate himself back to Canada unfortunately Justin Trudeau and immigration department and so forth not really lending much help or assistance they've got a lot of time to work on setting up the outcome for the next election and bringing in as many third world immigrants that they can manage to uh, get things in place so they can produce a favorable election outcome but when it comes to repatriating canadian citizen richard whipple and his family from poland it's a little different story unfortunately but yeah back to the the show at hand here of course and this week's stream i would like to talk a little bit about the event and on top of that let's see nathaniel tafoya is your skype contact you've got a youtube channel together as well which people can find easily enough in the show description note area one of the things we've noticed though nathan is you don't really have much of a social media presence at all we're hoping that i mean facebook is one thing that's pretty passe uh a lot better way of going about things you can do both in fact it doesn't have to be a strictly either or kind of deal or way of approaching things but get yourself busy over on minds.com or at least set up a channel and we can help to show you the ropes we can um, send you the link uh, invite you to the ufo news group that's put together over there around a hundred people right now so it's pretty new though you don't you haven't heard too much about minds.com i don't think other than from us but let's start simply with this why is it that you don't have much of a social media presence uh, call me old school. I like personal interaction. I think when you rely on technology and social media outlets, you lose the personal connection and communication. Like, I'm not a fan of texting or anything like that. If you want to talk to me, let's talk personally. You know, I hate to sound like bad about technology, but I mean, it's like the best worst invention. You know, you get to lose all that personal connectivity with people and you know, everybody relies on just posting something or I don't find it being genuine myself. You know, I mean, yeah, there's some re- related material and good stuff out there, but you really don't know what a person's feeling when, you, when you're when you not talking to them personally. So you don't get that personal interaction and, and connectivity with them. And that's kind of the reason why I don't do it. But I mean, unfortunately, if I'm going to have to get myself out there, I guess I'm going to have to conform to that new form of outlet to be able to let people know what's going on so i mean i'm open to it i just don't like it's just not a i don't know it's just not as beneficial as what i feel you know when you're talking to someone in person or over the phone you actually can hear how they're feeling and everything like that all at the same time you're saying versus just the strict text chat approach to things is that right yeah because text on one thing and they can interpret it a total different way so i bet you oh yeah absolutely the uh marshall McLuhan said the medium is the message and of course it's endlessly frustrating uh times where you do type something out and somebody completely gets triggered in a way that you had not intended they this you know making all kinds of leaps in their logic or false assumptions or what have you so speaking for myself 
no spy phone here on this end of things. We have a house phone. And as far as technology goes, yeah, it's uh, I'm kind of a, not quite a Luddite exactly, but rather conservative as with yourself. I just kind of, uh, it's more a question of picking and choosing. And I tell you, when we've got a scenario such as like with this 5G situation, and I'm not sure how your family feels about this, but myself, it's really, it's problematic to say the least, where you have this, uh, the technology imposed or, uh, you know, thrown upon you so that it's a more coercive approach where you found yourself completely immersed in something that you've had no say in whatsoever with, you know, the Wi-Fi, as it were, and the 5G. Because, you know, we're talking things like vibration here, folks, which I guess, you know, myself not being a big expert on things, but can you believe it? Just the other day, I was listening to someone who is talk about how originally things were configured to target, was it air or water molecules? One of the two, and now it's both. So we've got both air and water molecules, the way that their vibrational level and frequency completely attuned in accordance with the way that we're receiving the so-called Wi-Fi signals and uh, the 5G networks are being set up as well, too. So in brief, I don't know. Do you have anything to say about that? I would imagine that the, uh, I like to call them watchers. <laughs> I've never met one in person, not that I'm aware of, but like ETs or that sort of thing, that they would definitely have something to say on the matter of vibration and frequency. These entities themselves, I call them trans-dimensional beings. So, and the reason I say that is because they can jump in from different dimensions and they know how to manipulate time and space and everything's through frequencies, you know, and, and that vibrational state. So they have the ability to come into our density. They can leave at any point in time and dematerialize. That's how a lot of these crafts come in that I take photos of and I call in is they'll just materialize in it's like there's a star turning its lights on you know it's like flipping the switch they just materialize in and uh, and they can either be a light ship which isn't fully materialized in a light form or they can be more of a you know a solid matter object but yeah I mean you gotta think everything that's going on with our world right now is they're introducing these technologies and what this does is when you have these Wi-Fi signals and everything like that, what that does is it alters your ability to properly be attuned to the natural order of Earth. What they're trying to do is have it a controlled environment to where you're always constantly being hit by these waves of energy and frequency to distract you from things. So, yeah. I mean... Prison planet, full-spectrum dominance is what it's known as in military uh, parlance. So, uh... The prison planet, full-spectrum dominance. But, hey, listen, we've uh, kind of carried along here a little further than maybe what we should have, hoping okay. to kind of steer things around into Mystic Bay and call it a, a night. Before we do that, though, let's just remind people that you can be contacted directly through Skype at Nathaniel Tafoya. And on top of that, you've got a YouTube channel there that can be found in the show description area so many comments here to address and cover in the youtube chat box that we're just not going to have time to do that unfortunately so if people want to pick up on 
and carry through with more of this conversation. They're going to have to do it in the after show end of things, the rogues gallery. So, uh, yeah, you shared with us a pirate story there, uh, right off the, pretty much the top of the show, the get go, uh, regarding, uh, Davy Jones. It's quite the, I really enjoyed that. Actually, I got a kick out of that. So, uh, the fact of the matter is that we have down here in Skullport Harbor, a handful of various watering holes to choose from, including the scurvy dog, the Howling Wolf Inn, and the Mossy Wench. So uh, you've got a bit of a selection there on the menu, Nathan, along with, if you just prefer simply, a moonlit walk along the starry beach there down in Mystic Bay. Whichever one of it is you prefer, let us know now, and we can head on out to our destination. Let the adventurous and go with the Mossy Wench. (laughs) Oh, you're not single at the moment, are you? No, I'm married, but my wife's all about having fun. Oh, that's right. And I'm sorry, your wife is all about what? Having fun. All right. Well, we're going to do that most definitely. We've got Angel Espino coming up here uh, next week. Let's not forget, he did actually join us here in the live stream this go-around, so that's great, having a chance to touch base with him, at least on a virtual sense, uh, only once again texting though unfortunately maybe he'll join us in the after show who knows we are up to as many as 10 people this week so that's a bit of a milestone we don't do that too often uh all depending on the guests that we have on board we've actually found ourselves with as many if you can believe it 30 people in the live chat so typically though most simply go for the downloads that are put out post-produced rather than the live raw youtube feed So let's just go back one more time here then to Drew Lima up there in the crow's nest. I think maybe it's time you made your way down, Drew. We're heading off out to the mossy wench. Any closing thoughts or comments? Definitely just like to thank all of that tuned in and participated in chat tonight. There's been some interesting conversations going on in the chat. So definitely refer to people that be watching this later to also follow the chat yeah hit us up on either uh skype or discord we've got uh channels and servers set up on each voip app as it were so going to be taking a bit of a break here chance to get some refreshments and maybe hit the bathroom as well too before heading off to the mossy wench on that note however Let's just see. We're going to be discussing the event, it looks like, then in the the premium content after show. Don't forget, folks, if you've enjoyed any of the content that we've put together here, either this week or that which we've put out over the past couple of years, be sure to consider dropping by Patreon and showing your love via the tip jar that we have out in place there. Half of all the donations that come our way do go directly to charity. Uh, we've also got PayPal, which is, that's a great way of doing things as well. Let's not forget. And then there's no middleman. Patreon is completely cut out of the picture. As well as Minds.com, wiring those virtual tokens. We appreciate those booster points and the coins that people do send us from time to time so on that note once again thank you so much to the 
Well, 10 people or so it looks like here that joined us this week. Uh, until we meet again out on the high digital seas, on behalf of Captain Long John Sinclair, Drew Lima up there in the crow's nest, and all the rest of the crew here on the Robin Hood, I'm your host as always, the ship's chief communications officer, Jaffe Ryder. I know. There we be. Having carefully looked over each of our navigation panel instruments, checking every level, switch, dial, cable, knob and pulley, by all accounts and indications, we indeed see it's time once again to drop anchor inside Mystic Bay and draw an end to another week of Pirate Radio Podcasts. Remember... If you're looking for a little more lively online action, keep in mind we've likely got yet another great free-flowing rogues gallery after show coming up for the next hour in either Skype, Google Hangouts, or Peer.im. Also, if you've in any way enjoyed or found yourself benefiting from the shows we've tirelessly produced over the past two years, you might want to drop by our Patreon tip jar page. Lend a little support. Half of all network donations go directly to charity. Help to keep those numbers growing over on Patreon, and we'll be able to extend even more of a generous pirate hand. Looking forward now to the balance of 2018, we're still not quite yet booked. So if you yourself have a new, novel, intriguing, or otherwise underreported idea unique individual, or pressing item in mind, be sure to either drop us a line directly over on WPRPN.com or fire us a quick email via PirateOneRadio at gmail.com. We're always open to exploring fresh creative suggestions, intriguing guest ideas, cutting-edge discussion topics, and captivating themes. You can further embark on your own personal pirate journey by either liking, commenting on, subscribing to, or just following us via virtually any mainstream social media platform, including Twitter, Facebook, Google+, or Minds.com. So don't forget to become engaged. Until we meet again out on the high digital seas, I'm your host as always. The ship's chief communications officer, Jaffe Ryder. Tally ho.